Luke 24 is where we'll be. Uh, This is the last chapter of Luke. And uh, I'll just kind of give you a review of what we've seen so far. Uh, Luke writes this book, uh, Luke, to uh, this guy named Theophilus. Theophilus is somewhat of a skeptic of what we know about him through um, some historians that have written a little bit about his life. Uh, Luke is a medical doctor, and he spends really years of his life dedicated to prove to this guy, Theophilus, that Jesus Christ was who he says he was. And so what he does is he goes years and travels and he, uh, he interviews eyewitnesses who've actually seen Jesus. And, and what we've seen so far is that Jesus has lived a perfect sinless life, that he was born of a virgin. And we knew this because Luke interviewed his mother. Luke interviewed people who saw his mother and who knew his mother. Then we go through and we see the disciples and that we see that Jesus was tempted and tried in every way. And Jesus was tempted even by Satan himself, but yet he never sinned. Uh, We see Jesus perform miracles and he has power to command nature to stop or command nature to begin. And he is the alpha and the omega. And then we've seen also that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And when Jesus proclaimed his life to be that he was, that he was God. And then we see further on that Jesus has 12 disciples, but one betrayed him and he wasn't caught by surprise because Jesus could read people's minds and read people's hearts. And when he was tried on, on, put on trial, he was found innocent in every way, yet the crowd screamed in unison that they would crucify him. And so Jesus, the innocent, perfect lamb, was sacrificed and crucified on a cross for our sins. And you see this story And as Luke 23 wraps it up, he's thrown into a tomb and wrapped in linen and thrown into a tomb. And we see the story and we go, this is a really sad deal if Luke 23 is where Luke ends. I mean, it's not a complete work for this guy, Theophilus, that he's writing to. It it is not even a story of redemption if Luke ends in chapter 23. So I'm thankful that there's a chapter 24 because it shows us what Jesus Christ had done on the cross is absolutely sufficient for us. And Paul, when he describes the gospel, he talks about it in this way, 1 Corinthians 5 or 15, 3 through 4, it says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. So we know that. We know that he was buried And it says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So the gospel is not complete unless we absolutely read Luke 24. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you real quick before we get into Luke 24, what Paul actually says about how important the resurrection of Christ is, the very fact that he did not remain in the tomb, how significant that is. I'm going to read for you 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19. It says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For we are found misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he had raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ 
have perished. If in Christ we have hope in the life only, we are of all people to be pitied. So he's, Paul tells us what would happen if there was no Luke 24. If Luke ends only in 23 and there's no Luke 24, if there's no resurrection, Paul tells us, first of all, that our preaching is in vain. So right now, the next 30 minutes or however long I talk is a complete waste of time and it's only for my own good. It's only for my own self-righteousness. It's only for my own glory. He also tells us that our faith is in vain. Every song that has ever been written about Jesus is a wasted song. Every word that has ever been penned about Jesus is a wasted word and a waste of ink. Every single person that has spent time and dedicated their lives to missions and even died for missions, died only in vain. And it was a completely wasted life if Jesus had not risen from the grave. We would say it's we're misrepresenting God. We're saying that God is a liar. And he even says that uh, our faith is futile. That means it's harmful. It's a harmful faith. We are deceiving people if Christ did not rise from the grave. And he says, if the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised, which means this, that you could never stand over a fresh grave of a loved one or a relative and say to the person who is grieving, they are in a better place. That would be a lie if Christ did not raise from the grave. And then he says, we're still in our sins if Christ didn't raise from the grave, which means scripture says and uses the language, if you are in sin, you are dead. There's no life in you on earth and there's no life after you die. You have no life if Christ didn't resurrect from the grave. And he says, if Christ didn't resurrect from the grave, then we are to be pitied of all people. Christians are the most foolish people who have ever lived if Christ did not raise. And so what I want to tell you this morning is that there absolutely is a chapter 24 of Luke and that Christ did, in fact, raise from the grave, that he did, in fact, conquer the sting of death. And man, I'm just blown away because my faith isn't futile. My preaching is not in vain and we are not to be pitied, but we can worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So look with me in Luke 24, starting verse one, as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. It says this, but on the first day, first day of the week, at the early dawn, they were to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is what? He's risen. Remember how I told you while while he was still in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. This is Luke 9, 9.22, by the way, he's quoting. And be crucified, not on the third, and, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning to the tomb, 
they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Johanna, Joanna and Mary of Mother James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But listen to this. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So it says that, it says they went to the tomb. Well, who were they? Um, we see in the end of Luke 23, uh, what would happen often is when a person died of, of honor, they would often anoint their body with spices. And so these women who have come in Luke 23 are, are trying to anoint Jesus' body with spices. And it says in Luke 24 that as they went to the tomb, that the tomb was empty. Some would say and some would argue that perhaps Jesus' body was stolen or Jesus' body was taken by the disciples or somehow after this brutal death of a crown of thorns being uh, mashed into his skull and the, the blood that he shared consistently on the cross, somehow he mustered up the strength um, to, to, to fake a death and to break out of a, of a move a heavy tomb and take down a Roman guard and run off with Mary Magdalene and have us a life with her. Some would argue that. National Geographic actually said those things, those exact things about Jesus. But here's what we see is something unique in the passage, something that doesn't show us that picture at all. Uh, We see that the the women who are there to anoint Jesus' body, they run into two men in dazzling apparel. They were angels, these men. And it's important for you to know that there were two men because we have to understand that this was not Jesus that they saw. These were angels that they saw. I want to tell you this. I want to take a little segue and just tell you that when we die, we meet our creator. We don't become angels, all right? We don't become angels. Scripture actually tells us about angels. They say that they're messengers. At 1 Peter, I love 1 Peter when it talks about uh, angels. It says that the angels, they look at our lives and they're blown away by what Jesus consistently does for us and the grace that Jesus consistently gives us and the mercy that Jesus consistently gives us. If you even look in the Old Testament, when you had angels who who were there to worship the Lord, you have many who followed Satan. And guess what? They became demons. They didn't get a second chance. They never got the grace that we get. Uh, I mess up over and over and over again, but God consistently pours his mercy, pours his grace out on Ben Tugwell. And guess what? When the angels, it's what First Peter says, the angels long to look more at the gospel. They, they, it, the language actually is they stretch their necks out to look at the gospel. So when they see Ben Tugwell, that clown that Jesus consistently redeems, their neck stretches out. They cannot believe the mercy and the grace. Those people at Integrity Church, those people that consistently mess up and God consistently gives them grace, the, the, the angels long and they look at This beautiful picture of the gospel. But here's what this means practically. If it's my funeral and somebody gets up and shares about my life and they say I became an angel, I'm going to be ticked. You can take them out if you want. All right? You can take them out. Look, if this makes you mad, I'm sorry. Listen, you can become an angel if you want, but you're going to be longing and looking at what God has done in my life. That's what's going to happen. Because that's what the angels do. They, they long to look more at the gospel. They're blown away at what Jesus is. So, so look, we don't become angels. We become, as scripture says, we become adopted sons and daughters. And that's a great thing, is it not? Look at the mercy that Jesus pours out on us. So look, 
If somebody's at my funeral sharing that, you can take them out. I will not be mad, all right? Look at what happens to these messengers. Look at what they say that's so unique. You have these women who are coming and they are wanting to anoint Jesus' body, but they say, he is not here, but has risen. What you would often see in Luke's gospel is angels become messengers. You see angels come to, you see an angel come to Mary and telling her that she's going to have a son. You see an angel come to uh, Zachariah who's going to tell him, you're going to have John the baptizer is going to be your son and he's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And you have even in early Luke, you have the, the, the ones who are going to herald the message that Jesus Christ was to be born, that the Savior would be born. Who, does the, who do the angels go to? the most unlikely candidate. They go to shepherds. Shepherds were the most sketchy people. You would never trust anything that a shepherd would say. But they go to shepherds, lowlifes in the community, lowlifes in culture, and say, you are going to herald this message to the world, and you are going to be the ones who tell that Jesus Christ is born. Who do they, who do they go to here in Luke? Women. Women who were, in that culture, second-class citizens. No one would ever listen to a woman on anything like this. But now women are running out in the streets and proclaiming, he is not here, he has risen. Another thing that the messengers do is they take these women back to Scripture, what Jesus has said. They go back to Luke nine twenty-two. They say, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. So these messengers, they point the, these ladies back to what Jesus has already said. They point these women back to what God's word has already said about them. And then they remember it and then they have faith. And they realize this is so. Because they point them back to Scripture. And then it says that the women, when they went and they shared with these apostles who were hiding, you have these women who are running out in the streets, you have men who are hiding. God, let that not be our church, right? We don't want women just running out in the streets and proclaiming and men hiding. We need men and women out in the streets proclaiming that Christ is risen. So if you're a man, this is passivity right here, man. You see it right here at Luke's, at Jesus' resurrection. And he tells and, and as these women are telling the disciples, they don't hear the word of God here like they, like they did from the angels. You had them. They say they don't believe. They say it's an idle tale. It's very interesting, too. This is very similar to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I think every single believer at some point gets into a conversation and you begin to think that you're kind of crazy when you begin to share what Jesus has done for you. You become somewhat of the Jesus freak, right? Someone's a little bit weirded out. That's a little too much. Now, sometimes Christians are annoying. I get that, all right? I totally get that, right? Somebody like, I'm not effective, and I don't know why. I gave them a track and put it on their, you know, instead of giving them a tip, I gave them a track. I don't know why they don't come to Christ. You know, like, it's because you're an idiot, right? That's it. You're an idiot, right? It has nothing to do with Christ. And so what, what, what I'm saying is this, you get into a point where someone sees the life change in your heart. What do you mean you don't sleep with your girlfriend? What do you mean you don't get drunk? What do you mean if you don't, if you want to stay faithful to one woman? What if you, what do you mean that you want to take your life and move somewhere for the sake of the gospel? That's just bizarre 
And that's, it's strange to people that you would position your life around the gospel. And so when people look at you, they might think, man, this is, they believe in fables. They believe in idle tales. And so this is exactly what is happening when the disciples see this woman come, these women come in and they say that Jesus is risen. They think that they're bizarre. And I think at some point in our life, man, if, if that has not happened on some level in your life, where someone hasn't recognized a major change and a major difference, I question honestly your belief in the gospel. Because I think at some point they're going to see this something off here. There's something that doesn't line up with my life and this person's life. This is what they saw in these women's lives when they were running around saying Christ is risen. Can you imagine the same people that would have crucified Christ would have seen these women. These women are putting their lives at stake for the gospel. How bizarre is this? And so scripture tells us that Peter, he began to want to see for himself. And then he went and he saw that the tomb was in fact empty. And then it said that he marveled. And let's see what happens next. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were taken with each other They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. I want you to see that verse. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named uh, Cleopas answered, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? What things? And they answered to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before the Lord and all the people. And how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, and we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and all besides this, it is the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some of, the, of our women and company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier and they did not find his body. And they came back saying that even seen visions of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us at the tomb and just found it, just as the woman said, they did not see it. That's very interesting here what takes place because you see some humor here from Jesus. They, these women are, these, these two men, we don't know very much about. We know one of them, their name. We don't even know the other one's name. And they're having this conversation about how sad they are of this gruesome death that Jesus had died. They realize that he was who he says he was, but they have not seen his resurrected body yet. And, and it sounds weird because here you have Jesus who was risen from the grave and they, they don't recognize him. And we think often, man, how foolish are they for not to see this? How, how, how idiotic for them. Wouldn't they have recognized And If they're this sad and this broken, wouldn't they see that he is Christ? It just seems so odd. But the scriptures tell us that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. This is a constant theme that I want you to see that happens in Luke. 
Luke 9, 45, when Jesus tells his disciples that he was about to die, here's what he says. Look at what it says in Luke 9, 45. It says, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so they might not perceive it. Same thing happens in Luke 18 when he tells his disciples the same thing about his death. 1834, it says, but they understood none of these things. This saying was, what's the word? Hidden from them. And they did not grasp what was being said. So what you have is, it was kept, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. You have, it was concealed from them. It has, you, it was hidden from them. And then in John 12, Jesus quotes Isaiah. Isaiah, I'll just read Isaiah. It says this. He has blinded their hearts. He's blinded their eyes He's blind and hardened their hearts. Least they see with their eyes and had understood with their heart and turn and I would heal them. He's saying this about the Israelites. That he's blinded their hearts about his disciples when they couldn't understand the gospel. They couldn't understand that Jesus was in fact going to die. It says that he concealed that thing from them. He hid that thing from them. They didn't receive it because he wasn't ready for them to receive it. And you consistently see this pattern um, throughout Luke's gospel that God would for a moment consistently blind their hearts from seeing the grace that he has to offer. And, it's, and this is a bizarre thing in scripture, is it not? I mean, I think about my own testimony, my own life. I've had multiple conversations with people and I've been showing them over and over again my own story and telling my own story about how Jesus has redeemed me and how Jesus has saved me. And I even go to the, uh, I even talk about the Bible. The Bible is written over a 1500 year span and three different continents and 40 different authors. And I go through all the factual things about how reliable the scriptures are and then have all these conversations about Jesus is, God is the only one that has, has died a, a brutal death and has risen from the grave. He's the only one who's alive. And I've gone through all the different scenarios with unbelievers and and sometimes it just gets to the point where you're in the conversation you're like they are foolish for not knowing this they are foolish for not following and then what, what we see here is something unique that it's God who has their eyes shut and it's God who opens their eyes and so when we can get frustrated all day long, but it's God who does the saving work. I can do anything where I can, man, I could expound. I could go into all the gospels and explain away, but that is not going to save anybody unless God opens their eyes to the gospel, which means this, this is good news for me because I'm an idiot. It means I can go and just basically share Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins on your behalf, and he rose from the grave. And man, if God opens their eyes, they are going to hear it, and they are going to respond, no matter how messed up I deliver that thing. They're going to respond. They're going to respond. And so, man, we, we get in this easy believism world of the South, where I meet people all the time. I mean, I've always been a Christian. You were a Christian at birth, you should, have, you should be on, in a museum somewhere because you were the only person who's ever been born and been a Christian. You're not always a Christian. I was raised in church. Oh, really? Okay. So now you're, now you're a Christian. My, my, my parents went to church. I've always been in church because my parents, so I'm a Christian because of that. 
Scripture tells you that before your eyes are open, they are shut, which means that you are dead in your sins and you are born at war with God. I mean, I would love to say my, my beautiful son Gideon, who is as handsome and as striking as you could ever see, I, could, I would love to say he's a Christian. He's a pastor's son. For God's sakes, he's a Christian, right? I would love to say that, but I can't. I can't say that. His eyes are shut. And I have to pray consistently, God, would you open his eyes so that he would see the gospel. And you have these men who are standing right in front of Jesus and they can't even recognize that it's him because it's been concealed. It's been hidden. And so, man, we can't get frustrated with people. We have to pray, God, would you just open their eyes so they can hear the gospel clearly? Would you do that? Would you penetrate their hearts? Would you do that? All of us pray that way, do we not? Do we not pray that way? And we have to pray that way if we believe that God has a sovereign right to do it. Open their eyes. Let them see the gospel. So look in verse 25, it says this. And he said to them, oh foolish ones, this is what Jesus is saying to these two men, oh foolish ones, and slow heart to believe all the prophets have spoken Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and begin with Moses and the prophets? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What Jesus does in a brief little snapshot is he shows that all of scripture is about him. Uh, We've seen this throughout Luke's gospel that all of scripture is about Jesus. Old and New Testament, it all points to Christ. Sacrifices in the Old Testament all point to Christ. The beginning, even Genesis 3, 15, it talks about uh, a serpent. It talks about uh, a woman. And we talk about the seeds. And it's all about pointing to what Jesus was going to do. All of scripture is about Christ. And so what he does is the same thing. Listen, Jesus does the same thing that the angels did for these women. When he tells them that Jesus is alive, he points them back to what scripture says about Christ. And what what Christ does is he points them to scripture. He goes back to scripture. We see this in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. I mean, I have heard horrific gospel presentations that never talk about scripture or Jesus, but they give an altar call. I've heard a guy say, Jesus wants to be your friend. Pray this prayer. If you pray this prayer, you're a Christian. That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You have to hear this truth of scripture and you have to hear the gospel proclaimed until you can accept Christ. That's the gospel. You can't just hear Jesus wants to be your friend and then you're a Christian. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. What has to happen for someone to believe? They have to hear the truth of scripture. The angel had to tell these women, remember what Christ said? Remember the scriptures? What Jesus had to do for these men to see their eyes to be open, they had to hear the scriptures. And so this is what happens next. Look in verse 28. It says this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if they were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. 
For it is toward the evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went and stayed with them, and he was at the table with him. He took bread, and he blessed, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes, listen to this, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from sight. Now, now look, look at what they say about Jesus here. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were, who were uh, gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now here's what I want you to see. When did their hearts burn? Their hearts burned for Jesus when Jesus opened their eyes and they were able to see and recognize him. Their hearts were open when Jesus explained the word of God and the word of God came to life to them and then they believed. It wasn't I'm going to do this my own way and hopefully my eyes will be open. No, it's Jesus' saving work and it's Jesus' proclamation of the word of God. And that is why their eyes were open. Which means this. You can't believe in the resurrection unless you believe the scriptures. You can't believe the scriptures unless God opens your eyes to see the scriptures. And so, man, we can be excited about the resurrection all we want to. But here's the thing. You can't believe in the resurrection unless Jesus opens your eyes to the scriptures and gives you the gift of faith. So even, the, even believing in the resurrection is a gift. And it's a wonderful gift. But he's given us the gift to believe. And scripture tells us if we don't believe in the resurrection, we're still in our sins and our faith is futile. Our faith is useless. And so man, as I, as I just step back from this whole thing and I look at the grace that he offers us, what I consistently am reminded of, it's not about Ben Tugwell. It's not about what I've done. It's about what Christ has done for me. It's about the grace that he gives me. It's about him taking me when I was 11 years old and whose eyes were shut, who heard the gospel multiple times before I was 11. And in some weird scenario, some weird place, all of a sudden I hear the gospel and it makes sense to me because he opens my eyes. It wasn't the guy delivering the gospel. It wasn't the people who failed to deliver it before. It's just the, the very fact that the spirit of God opened my eyes to where I could hear and receive the gospel. And I'm just thankful for what he's done in my life because it's all about him. And it's only true because he rose from the grave because it validates that his cross was sufficient. And so because Jesus lives a perfect sinless life, because he lived the, the life that I should have lived and he died the death that I was condemned to die and he rose from the grave, what his resurrection did is it showed that his cross was sufficient. And because of that, believers like you and me, if you're a believer this morning, have a new heart and a new life. And we are dead in our sins and now we're made alive. 
And when we do finally die here on earth, this world is not our home. We have a home with him in eternity and we can worship him forever in glory. And so if you're a believer this morning and because of the resurrection, this is the closest to hell that you're going to get. This is it. This is it. If you're not a believer, this is your heaven. And your eyes are shut. And what you have to do is you have to knock on heaven's door. That Christ would open your eyes, that the spirit would open your eyes and that you would see the gospel. And we don't, we don't want to do an easy believing. We don't want to do some long, drawn-out altar call and tell you if you pray a prayer, you're in. We, want you, we just want to say, look, pray that God would open your eyes, that he would penetrate your heart with the truth of the gospel, and that you would repent of your sins and you would believe in him. Pray that. That's what we would ask. And so each person that we see here in this passage, this is for believers each person that we see here in this passage that God does open their eyes and they do recognize that Christ has risen. They do recognize that he is the Christ. They all have an outward expression, do they not? I mean, just here in a moment, we're gonna see several outward expressions of what Jesus has done and, they, and we're gonna see this picture of baptism that when we take the person under the water and they come up out of the water as a, and representing a new person, we, we don't believe that that saves you, by the way, but we, we think it's a symbol of this person becoming new in Christ and here's what that looks like. Every single time you see that person come up, we have seven people. So every, seven, every one of these seven people that come up, I want you as they're coming up to remember that that would not be a symbol unless Christ had not risen from the grave. Every single person that you see come up, that is a symbol of Christ's resurrection. And they're outwardly expressing Christ's resurrection. That's what they're doing. And so all of us, if we're really believers, we are going to have an outward expression of what Christ has done. These women, man, they ran out into the streets and they proclaimed that he is risen indeed. These men, their hearts, it says that their hearts burned for the truth of scripture. They wanted Jesus to stay. They wanted the the walk to be longer and they burned to know more of the gospel. And that's what a believer wants. So my question is this, if you're a believer this morning, if you're proclaiming to be a believer, when was the last time that your heart burned for more of the gospel? When was the last time that you outwardly professed what Jesus was doing in your life? When did that happen? And if you're not a believer this morning and you don't see any of this in your life, that your heart does not stir, your affections do not stir when the truth of God's word comes to you, Maybe you just need to ask God, God, would you just open my eyes that I could see your gospel, that I might know you. So this morning, what we just need to see is this. Because Christ has risen from the grave, we're not wasting our time. Our faith is not futile. Our preaching is not vain, and we have something to live for. And it's his name and his glory and his fame. Let's pray.